somebody asked me last Sunday after, when I got up to preach, they asked me later, said, why did you move the microphones before you preached? So I have a little bit of a problem that I can get distracted. Squirrel. No. Anyway, um, and so I go back and watch the videos, and, and if there's something like a microphone behind me, my eye will go. <laughs> and I figure it's probably some others like that in here, so I try to get everything out of the way so you can concentrate on me. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> no, anyway. Um, so a few years ago, uh, there was a, a group of men that used to come into my office every Sunday morning, and they would pray with me. And there's a prayer that I want to pray over us today before uh, we, we get into this message. Um, and I want to call this prayer the HSP, the Holy Spirit push. I want to pray for a Holy Spirit push this morning. Now, um, I, I was raised in a, a movement, a church movement, that completely very much like this church we believe in the, the gift of the Spirit. We believe in the spiritual gifts that are given to believers to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. But I was also raised in a time where some of those gifts had been taken to extremes. And you've seen them. And, you know, I, I guess I never really was convinced of the, you know, walking up and slapping somebody on the head and they just fell to the ground and flapped like a fish out of water. I just never really got into that. And so one Sunday, I'm in my office, and just the way it happened, two men were already in there, and I walked in, and then the third man came in, and he said, I'll pray. So I just kind of turned around. So the other two men were kind of on each shoulder behind me, and the other man, he just put his hand on my chest, and he started praying. So a few minutes into that prayer, which seemed like hours long, I thought, man, I wish he would quit pushing me over. I mean, he's putting like all of his weight on me. I'm going to fall. And the two men behind me were feeling this. And so they were putting their hands on my shoulders. So when he finished, I really felt, you know, it was getting uncomfortable. And I said, and how, why were you pushing me so hard? And the two guys behind me said, yeah, we were doing all we could do to hold you up. He said, Sean, I was barely touching you. And I said, what a Holy Spirit push this morning. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would push us around a little bit today. Okay? Maybe even physically. Maybe we need that. But definitely spiritually. Pray with me. Lord, I pray right now that you would come in the presence of the Holy Spirit into this place. And I pray that we might feel your presence in such a real way that it is a push even physically upon us and that we might know you are here, you are with us, and that we can be changed by that power today. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy Spirit push. Pray for an HSP every day. Holy Spirit push me around today. Push me around. I want to speak this morning, and if you catch them at all, I try on every Friday to give a little uh, glimpse of what the sermon will be like. I do a little Facebook Live video just to get your taste buds wet about the sermon. Um, I, I'm afraid to do that sometimes because there are times the Lord changes that, 
usually Sunday morning at 4 a.m., but I figure that's okay. I'm still going to do that so that we have kind of an idea. And you can be praying for me, you can be praying for the message, but you can be praying for yourself and each other about how that message will impact you. And then also, it gives an opportunity that if there is a topic that we might be discussing in a message, and maybe you had come across someone that week who was just saying, you know, that they were dealing with that certain thing, you could say, you know, our pastor's going to be preaching on that Sunday. Why don't you come along with me and then hear that message as well? And so uh, I want us to have that kind of ministry, and, and why not use social media and technology for the God's purpose instead of for junk that it's used for? And so we want to do that. So I shared with you in that on Friday that we would be talking about fear. Uh, Paul tells this young man, this young preacher, Timothy, about fear. He's, he's encouraging him. Now, being a young preacher <laughs> at one time, uh, you know, it was great when you knew Somebody would speak something into you. Uh, you know, my father-in-law always said, uh, every preacher needs a preacher who can mentor them and work with them. But as I read the writings of Paul to Timothy, um, you, you have to realize that he's probably telling Timothy all these things because those are the things that Timothy's dealing with. You know, uh, when he tells Timothy how to, you know, pick leaders in his church, it's probably because Timothy has said, how do I pick leaders in my church? You know, he's answering questions for Timothy to teach him and mentor him and instruct him. And he comes to this place about fear. Obviously, Timothy is scared to death. He's this young man who's been placed in this church in Ephesus. Ephesus being one of the earliest churches established. And they were already pretty set in their ways when Timothy goes there to pastor. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to hear anything new. And there were some good things going on in that church. There were some not so good things going on in that church. And Paul's basically in prison. He can't be there. to do it. So Timothy, here's what you do. Go tell that person they're living in sin. Go rebuke them. You want me to do what? This is my first year here. You know, and yes, go. And so Timothy's come to this place where he's, he's afraid. He's got some fear within him. Well, in our modern day society, we don't like to use the word fear. We like to use the word phobias. I have a phobia about something. And so I picked out some good phobias this morning that I thought you might just be interested in uh, just to get us started. So let's look at some of these phobias, and I'm going to have a horrible time pronouncing some of these. Uh, the first one is a blute, a blutophobia. Anybody know what a blutophobia means? A blutophobia is really a tough, if you've got this now, it's tough because it's the fear of washing or bathing. Okay? Okay, so there's the next one acrophobia. Acrophobia. Some of you may have acrophobia, which is a fear of darkness. Okay? Uh, I actually have this one acrophobia, it's fear of heights. Uh, I just don't like them, I never like them. Um, so, okay, I'm going to have trouble with this one. Iraq, your beauty, phobia. okay. I'm glad that I never had this one, because this is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> There's a phobia for this. You can get counseling for this phobia. Cockophobia is the fear of ugliness. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know if you're afraid of your own ugliness or the ugliness of somebody else. Not really sure. Cholrophobia. Some of you may have this. This is the fear of clowns. Fear of clowns. Yeah. All right. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this one. Just put this on the screen. You can say this. Give it a shot. Hey, it's closer than I would have gotten. You're going to die when you see the definition of what this is. This is the fear of long words. Can you imagine going to a therapist and saying, I have, well, I can't really say it because I'm afraid of long words, and it's a long word. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my goodness. Um, there, this one, I believe, everybody probably has right after church on Sunday, okay? The cytophobia, it's the fear of making decisions. I always said, I'm going to open up a restaurant called You Decide. Where do you want to go to eat? You decide. Okay. Or I don't care. Man, you would be packed every Sunday, you know. There are phobias for the fear of being touched, the fear of being robbed, the fear of feeling pleasure, the fear of the sun, the fear of being infested with worms. You have that fear? Uh, Some have this, the fear of blood, fear of reptiles or creepy crawly things. And don't think that the church is exempt. There are actually phobias that exist within the Christian lifestyle. There is ecclesiophobia, which is actually the fear of the church. There is hygophobia, which is the fear of saints or holy things. Uh, harmatophobia, which is, harmatia means sin. So harmatophobia means the fear of sinning. And then none of you have this. Homilophobia, which is the fear of sermons. And, and none of you have that, right? None of you have that. Phobias, fear. Um, you know, we could go on and on. I'm sure that list is massive when you look at all the phobias that have been diagnosed by our, our medical professions today. Uh, there's probably a phobia for everything. You know, and a fear for everything. And if there's a phobia for it, then there's probably some kind of cure or something to help you get through that. But I believe that all of these uh, can go into one kind of category that Paul defined when he talked to this young preacher, Timothy. And Paul said it this way, you do not have a spirit of fear. You do not have a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that's what he was encouraging this young man with. This is not of God. You're afraid, yes, but this is not of God. God has not given you this spirit of fear. So uh, let's look at a couple of things this morning. Uh, the exact words that Paul shares with with this young Timothy and in Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse seven is this: For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And we're going to look at those things today. Well, if you're following along in your worship folder, the notes will be on the screen as well, and uh, you can uh, get fill in these blanks. But let's look at a couple of things I want to talk about with fear today. The very first thing is this: Satan. The devil, our enemy, has a purpose 
for our fears. There is a reason that our enemy wants us to have fear in our lives. He has a purpose for those fears, and, and, uh, and he wants to use those. And he is a master of using those fears against us. Now, I saw Will last Sunday. He was here. They were here for church. As soon as church was over, he and Sue, they took off for the great white north. I mean, they didn't make it all the way to Canada, but you were close. And when they left, I've not talked to Phil, I'm sorry, Will, <laughs> till this morning, right? We didn't talk all week. And then this morning, I didn't talk to you about your communion meditation, did I? And as soon as you started, I opened up my sermon and I pointed to Michelle and said, look here. The first way that Satan uses and the purpose that he has for our fear is to make us worry. And I appreciate what, what Will shared with us this morning. Uh, I've, I've heard the quote, many people live crucified between two thieves, yesterday and tomorrow. And they're so worried about things they cannot control, that they have, have no way of, of making or impacting or affecting in any way in their lives, and yet they live in fear of yesterday or, or worry of yesterday or tomorrow. And it becomes a fear then, this worry, this spirit of fear causes us to worry. And by making us worry, he makes our lives miserable. Have you ever talked to somebody that just worries about everything? It just seems there's a worry for everything. You, they need to be like that guy that um, he decided, he, he worried about everything. I mean, any little thing, he was worried about it. And so years went by, he ran into one of his buddies, one of his friends, hadn't seen him in decades. And immediately his friend could tell, something's different about you. You, you don't seem worried about anything anymore. You are the guy who worried about everything all the time. What is your secret? And he said, well... I hired somebody to worry for me. He said, well, how does that work? He said, well, I ran an ad. And I said, I worry about everything. I'm tired of worrying. I will pay somebody $1,000 a day to worry for me. And he said, I had a lot of applicants. And I, I hired this guy, and, and now he worries for me. He says, you don't have $1,000 a day. How are you going to pay this guy? He said, well, that's for him to worry about. You know those kinds of people, right? They worry about everything. And if there's nothing to worry about, they're worried because there's nothing to worry about. I have family like this. I have friends like this. They just worry about everything. And that's a tool of the enemy. It's, it's part of that spirit of fear that the enemy brings in our lives, and he causes us to worry, and we become miserable in it, and you make other people miserable around you because you're worried about something all the time. If one thing that I've learned in my ministry is that we worry. People worry. When I was in my first senior pastorate, um, I actually took the lessons from my father-in-law, Claude Likens, your former pastor, on the Sermon on the Mount. He preached it here. I think it was 33 sermons on the whole Sermon on the Mount. He preached it here. And uh, he gave that to me. I did it as a Bible study. And I every week when we would finish the lesson, I would say, next week we'll be looking at. So we had finished, and I said, now next week we're going to look at 
Matthew 6, do not worry. And one of my saints in the church, as a matter of fact, I've got people from that church who, who watch our video of our service every week. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. She taught Sunday school. She just went home uh, to the Lord. She had her homecoming here just in the last couple weeks. Ruth Woods, one of the dearest saints I had in that church. And she said, I cannot wait to hear about this next week because, and she said it this way, you cannot have children and not worry. And I worried all week of how I was going to teach that lesson because she was right. She was right. If you're a parent, you're going to worry, right? If you love people, if you care about people, you're going to worry. Let's put it even more simply. If you're a human that's still breathing on this earth, you're going to worry. So I prayed that week, Lord, what does this really, really mean? And through my study and really just the prayer time and leading of the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave me a really good definition. And I made a poster of it. And I, I put it on the wall behind me as I taught that whole lesson. And I said, Jesus here is talking about worry that separates us from our trust in him. Worry that separates us from our trust in him. Jesus was saying, do not be so worried, so anxious that you no longer trust me. And then even Jesus began to, to say, this is what you're worried about. You realize when Jesus preached that sermon, the, one of the greatest parts of that is, is at the very beginning, it, Jesus says, and seeing the people. And if you really read that from a good translation, it says, and seeing their need. Jesus looked upon that crowd that day of thousands of people and knew every need of every person in that crowd. And what were their needs? Then you read the sermon because he addressed all their needs in that sermon. So he knew there are people here who are worried to the point that they don't trust God anymore. They don't trust me. They've lost their faith because of their fear. And now they're worried. And so he even addressed, he knew specifically, you're worried about what you're going to eat. So he says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. You're worried about what you're going to wear. Don't even worry about what you'll wear. And then gives the illustrations about the birds of the air, the, the fields and how they're dressed. And how much more does your Father in Heaven love you? See, he addressed that idea of worry. He knew we would worry. He knew when you love someone, you're going to be, you're going to be concerned about them. But do we allow that spirit of fear to cause us to worry to the point that we no longer trust the Lord? That's the, the worry that the enemy brings into our life. Well, there, there's another way that the enemy causes this spirit of fear. And, and I believe this happens to all of us at different times. And maybe some of you all the time is it's a, a fear of being, as a spirit of fear causes us to be ineffective, especially ineffective witnesses of Jesus. I don't know how many people I have talked to in my lifetime who have just said, Oh, I could never share about Jesus. I could never witness. I could never talk about the Lord. I could never. And you just fill in the blank because they're afraid. Maybe they're afraid of rejection. Maybe they're afraid they won't have the right answers. You know, somebody asks a question and you don't know. Uh, some of the, the best times of ministry that I've had is when someone's come to talk to me and I've looked them at the, uh, across my desk or across the table at a restaurant and said, you know, 
I don't know. I'd love to find the answer with you, though. Let's see if we can find an answer. But I don't know. And we may never know. There are things in, in Scripture that even tell us. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are things we will not know. And I'm okay with that. Because I have faith and I trust the Lord. He knows. But I never tried to just give some quick answer just to satisfy somebody. If I didn't know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. But I'll be willing to look for an answer. And let's see if we can find one. And if we don't, I guarantee we're going to be closer to the Lord and we're going to come to a place where we say, I don't really care. But so many just are so afraid of sharing Jesus Christ. There's an excellent book written probably 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it's by a, an American Indian, and it's called Share Jesus Without Fear. It's a great book. This man worked in the maintenance crew of a, a multi-million dollar business and took a bus home every single day. And um, one day he just happened to run into the president of the company. And he was eating his lunch, and he was reading his Bible. And the president said, why do you even read that? You believe that? And this man, all he said to him was, why don't you take this home and read it? And if you come back to me and say you still don't believe, I'll never ask you anything about it again. Well, this man was a genius. He read it that weekend. When the man came back to work on that Monday morning, there was an email waiting for him that the president wanted him to have lunch with him in his office. He thought, I've done it now. And when he came in, he said, I don't know what happened to me, but I got reading that Bible, and I couldn't put it down. And this weekend, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now what do I do? <laughs> a man with a high school education an American Indian working in the maintenance crew led a multi-million dollar president of a business to the Lord. We can all do it. But Satan loves to make us live in a spirit of fear. Now, I'm going to say this. I believe with all of my heart that there are certain do's and don'ts in this Bible. That when I became a believer, when I accepted Jesus as my Christ, was baptized in the Lord, that there are things that I said, as a Christian, I cannot do that in my life. I need to avoid that in my life. And then there are things that I knew. There are things now that I must do as a Christian, as a believer. I need to do this. And I am a firm believer in this, that, that uh, I believe that God when we were born, when we were created, God made you as you are. Uh, we love that verse for our children that say, train a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Do you know that word way is actually not a good translation? The better translation of that word is bent. Train a child in their bent. You ever told a kid, you're just bent to do those things. My son was just bent to put things together. He's just got a mind for it. In other words, God created them a certain way, and we're to nurture them in that way, the way they're kind of made by God already. And then they can use that for the Lord. And they can use anything. Our son is a mechanic, and he and their youth pastor decided, I, I, some of you guys are probably going to love this, they decided to do a, a Bible study. They bought an old truck, and they're making it a drag truck. 
It's got big, huge, wide tires on the back. It's got an engine that's, that's bigger than my car in this little truck. And they're gonna So every so often, they'd get together. They would have a Bible study together. They'd eat, eat a bunch of junk food. And then my son would start teaching these boys how to do this work on this car. You can use whatever God has bent you for, for his glory. I believe you're created that way. Now, step further. I believe God gifts people. We have the spiritual gifts. He enables you through his ability that you don't have in a natural sense, in a spiritual sense, to do work for him. Okay? And so I believe that God uses every believer for that, that he wants to give you a spiritual gift. Some of those are lifetime gifts, you know, like preaching or teaching, those things. Some may be a one-time occurrence for what his need is. He gives you that gift to meet that need. Okay, so he has enabled you to do his will. Guarantee then, if that's the truth, and I believe it is the truth, that if he puts someone in your path that he needs you to be a witness to, you're going to have the power to do it. There's no reason to fear that. Okay? But for all of us, beyond the black and white do's and don'ts that we know that are here for the Bible of the lifestyle of a Christian and, and having gifts and using those gifts, I believe that God has enabled you to just be the witness for him in your everyday living, in your speech, in your behavior. What did Paul tell young Timothy? Be thou an example to the believers in speech, in love, in purity. Just live like Jesus lived, and you will be the greatest witness that you can be. I shared that story about that elder that was in my church. He was not being the example. I don't even believe as an example of a believer, let alone an elder in our church, in the community. Let people know just by the way you live, that you love and serve Jesus Christ. It's the greatest witness that you can have without ever saying a word. Who was the great theologian? I, I can't think of him now. It said, you know, preach everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words, you know? Thank you, Joel. I, I, I had it there, but I couldn't catch it. Francis of says, preach everywhere, and if you, if you necessarily use words. Another great theologian, uh, Christian songwriter, he said it this way, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. Be that. Be that in your lifestyle and you will be effective. There's no reason to fear. Satan is a master of using the spirit of fear to make us worry. He is a master at using the spirit of fear to make us ineffective. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. So let's look at the solution. God has a solution to this. Number two, God has a plan for overcoming our fears. And he says it to this young man, Timothy, right here. How can God overcome these fears in our lives? God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us three gifts that will help us overcome that fear. The first gift is the gift of power. I want to see a show of hands. How many believe in God? Okay. How many believe that God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful? There is nothing God cannot do. Great. We're all in favor. How many believe in Jesus Christ? How many believe Jesus Christ is God? 
Okay, how many believe that if Jesus Christ is God, then all that power that God you just agreed to say, Jesus also has that same power? How many of you believe in the Holy Spirit? How many believe that the Holy Spirit is God? Therefore, all that power that God has, all that power that we agree Jesus has, how many would agree that the Holy Spirit has all that same power? And now how many believe that the Holy Spirit lives in, dwells in, and empowers you? How many sermons have I already preached on it? We have the power of the creator of all things living and dwelling within us. Why should we fear? There is no reason for us to fear. There is no reason to have a spirit of fear that causes us to worry to the point that it would separate us from trusting in that great power of God Almighty. There is no reason that we should have a spirit of fear that would make us so ineffective that we can't be witnesses for the Lord. For how many times does the Lord expect us, as he shared in his life, go and tell others? His last command, go and tell others. And then the rest of the New Testament, what do we have? Go and tell others. And yet we live in a spirit of fear. We're so ineffective because of the enemy and that spirit of fear that is upon us. And yet we have the power that has defeated that enemy. Please don't think that that battle is still going on. God defeated the devil. It's a great convincing that the devil convinces us with about well, this is still going on. There's still a chance to win. No, he has been beaten. We have that power within us. We do not have to live in a spirit of fear because we have the power of God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That means anything God wants me to do, he's going to give me the power to do it. He is going to enable me. He's going to give me the strength, the gift to do it. All the same power God has lives within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, God has given us a power, and, and let's look at some of that power he's given us. Let me share a couple of things in that power. He's given us the power to be saved. You can't save yourself. No one else can save you. Only God can save you. He's given us the power to be saved. But as many received him by them, gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God has given us the power to be saved. He has given us the power to be a witness for him and be effective. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God has given us a power to be effective witnesses. He's given us the power to have joy in our lives. Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may bound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us a power for joy. He's given us the power to be a strong Believer, Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. And he's even given us the power to endure trials. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We have that power within us. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells 
within us. If we are trusting in, drawing from, relying on, believing in the one who has the power, he will give us that power and there's no reason to be afraid. Well, second, you know, he says, this is a remedy. I'll give you the power. Second, Paul told Timothy was, God has given us a spirit of love. If I were to ask a thousand people, I would say probably close to a thousand would answer the same way. What is the opposite of fear? Most would say courage, right? That is not what the Bible says. Not at all. The Bible says the opposite of fear is love. Love is the opposite of fear. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Love is the spiritual opposite of fear. If the devil wants to use a spirit of fear against us, it is God's love that overpowers that. It is love. We have the gift of power. We have the gift of love. And then I love this one. He's given us the gift of a sound mind. You know, most of the time, our fears, and and even all those phobias that we listed, most experts would say, it's because we're thinking wrong. It's in the mind. I, I am that way with heights, you know. Um, I would be terrified of doing something, but I've lived through all of them. I didn't fall. I didn't crash to the ground. And I'm not afraid of falling. I'm afraid of the stop, you know. <laughs> but it's never happened. Why should I be afraid of it? Because it's in my mind. I actually had a counselor one time that when I was taking a, a counseling class, we talked about our own fears, and I shared mine. And he, he talked to me for a while, and he said, um, I bet you when you were young, you were in a really high place, and something traumatic happened. And then you probably went a long period of time that you never went anywhere high. And the next time you went somewhere high, that triggered in your mind that traumatic event. And I immediately went to being eight years old at Kings Island, on the Eiffel Tower, and while we were up there, a man had a heart attack. And while we were up there, we had to wait. And I watched as an eight-year-old kid, the paramedics come, get him, take him down, and it scared me to death. And I then didn't go on anything high for years. And the next time I got on something high, I was terrified. It's in my mind. If that's so true in the natural, please do not... Do not just belittle the enemy. Believe me, he's good at convincing you in your mind. He's good at playing with your thoughts. He is an expert at making you think the wrong thing, which causes fear. And Paul was telling that young preacher, Timothy, God didn't make your mind that way. God gave you a sound mind. A sound mind. You do not have to fear. We have the gift of a sound mind. And there's going to be times, yes, there will, there will be times when we get convinced of other things because we're human. And so Paul told the church in in Rome, he said it this way, he says, so do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
How do I renew my mind? Well, I can't. I have to let God renew my mind. Let, he, let God bring that mind back to the way he created me to be instead of the way my own self has been thinking or allowing the enemy to convince me of these things. So he's given us the spirit of power. He's given us the spirit of love. And he's given us the spirit of a sound mind. We do not have to fear. I asked this morning, and um, I'll make my apologies. Last week we sang this song, and it's been in my mind all week as I've been preparing this message and thinking about it. And, and I still want to share a few little thoughts after they sing this, but I'm going to ask if my worship team would come on forward. I've asked them to sing this song again, and we're going to sing it together. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. We do not have to fear. I do not think it's coincidental that our modern-day translations of the Bible use the phrase either fear not or do not be afraid 365 times. That means every day of the year you could read a verse about not fearing, not being afraid. I, I don't consider that a coincidence. God does not want us to live in fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear. And like I said, I want to share a couple of thoughts at the end, but I want us to sing this song. And while you don't, if you want to sing, please do. If you don't, then here's what I want you to do. Pray for an HSP. Holy Spirit, push me. Push me. I need pushed. I've been living in fear, in a spirit of fear. It's, it's made me worry. It's made me in effect. Lord, push me. Let me have that power. Let me have that love. Let me have that sound mind. Because I no longer want to live in fear. Stand with me. Let's, let's just sing this chorus together.
is a story that is recorded both in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. I kind of find it odd that neither of the fishermen recorded this story. Maybe they were embarrassed. Jesus has just performed miracles and probably in this earthly body was exhausted. And so he got in a boat and his disciples followed him and they went out onto the Sea of Galilee. And what does the Lord do? It says he goes into the stern of the boat and finds a pillow, probably more like smelly, fishy fishnets, and makes a pillow out of it. And if you've seen those kinds of boats, it was actually a compartment. He would have had to have opened up like a lower kitchen cabinet and crawled up in there and closed these behind him and falls asleep. And then a storm comes up. Now, if, if you only read this in, in an English language, that's what it says, a storm. Some translations say, and a great storm arose. And the disciples were terrified. Actually, Matthew gives, I think, the greatest description of this storm. Matthew, being a Jew, but also working at one time for the Roman government, chooses a Greek word. And when they go wake up the Lord, Matthew records, Lord, there's a seismos. Now, we use that term in our English language today. A seismograph measures what? Earthquakes. That's the kind of storm that those men thought they were in that night. Maybe one of the worst storms they had ever been a part of. Maybe that's why the fishermen didn't record it, because they were a little embarrassed that they were afraid of a storm on sea. But Matthew and Mark. Now, Mark, you know, he would have gotten Peter's words. So I guess that's maybe the fisherman. But Matthew calls it a seismos. And the Lord gets up before he, you know, before he asks them a question. Why are you afraid? It's almost like he was saying, have you not seen what I did today? Did you not see the miracles that I performed? Have I not provided everything you've needed? Did you not think, is this too big for me? Why are you afraid? And then he just says those words. Peace. Be still. And the waters ceased. The waves ceased. The storm stopped. I've been on that Sea of Galilee. And boy, when I was out there, I looked across and I just thought, man, what would it have been like that night to have seen the waves coming through? It was once up at Lake Erie and a storm had just gone through and, and it drenched me. I got soaking wet by a wave that came up and hit the railing and then I had to drive four hours home soaking wet. I got baptized in Lake Erie. But that day when that storm was happening, I thought, what would it have been like to have just heard those three words? Peace, be still. And it stopped like glass. Maybe today you've got a seismos going on in your life. You've got a storm that's beyond any storm you've ever been a part of. It's greater and bigger than anything you've ever had to deal with in your life. It's a seismos of storms. 
Would you trust the Lord today to look into your life and say, peace, be still. Why are you afraid? There's no reason for you to fear. Peace, be still. Oh, how we need the Lord to speak some peace into our lives. You have not been given a spirit of fear. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the Lord is saying to you today, peace, be still, and the storm has to cease at the voice and the name of Jesus Christ. Let's sing this chorus again. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Thank the Lord that he said, peace be still. I know many times in my life, and I know you've experienced it too, but today, in the midst of your seismos, Lord, peace be still. Peace be still. I am very excited about what's coming up. Um, I've been praying about when. I knew the Lord wanted me to preach a series of sermons. Maybe, well, it's on my favorite character in the Bible, uh, the Old Testament Joseph. And I've been praying, Lord, when would you have me to preach these messages? And then the ladies decided that they're going to do this study on Joseph. And I thought, what better time? And so the first Sunday of March, I'm going to start a series of sermons called Living Out God's Dream. Living Out God's Dream. You know, we all had the times where we'd say, you know, boy, I dream for my kids. If I could have a dream for my kids, it'd be this, you know, or when we were kids, I dream about being this. What would it be if we could know what was God's dream for my life? What does the Lord dream for you? What does he dream for our church? And that's going to be a series of sermons going through the life of Joseph and how he never stopped dreaming about what the Lord had in store for him. So that'll be a couple of weeks. We're going to start that series of messages. Um, so go ahead and read the whole book of Genesis. Anyway, uh, but looking forward to that, excited about that. I hope that you have a great week. If there's something that you need, uh, something you want us to pray for, or if there's a physical need that you have, please let the church know, let one of our elders know that we can help supply that need for you. Uh, if there's something you need to talk about, please let us know. We're here for you. We, we're here for each other. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. And we can't do it any other way. We love you, and uh, thank you for the love that you've shown to us. Alan, dismiss us in prayer, would you rather? in mind to worship you in Jesus